Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce, and I have an interview for you today with Dr. Jane Claire Jones. Dr. Jane Claire Jones is a feminist critic and scholar in the United Kingdom. In this interview, which is the first of two interviews that we had, we discuss the theoretical framework, or at least we explore the theoretical grounding of her ideas about hierarchies and domination and the patriarchy. The second interview that we did, which is the one I released, was more about current events and society as we see it now and uh, events that have happened very recently. This one is a, a step back and is a wider view about her ideas. To quote her, I was helpfully defensive in my contention with her in this discussion. I would like us all to keep our eyes on the prize that even though we might not agree with each other and even though we might be passionate about our disagreement, the goal here is understanding. And the only way to get to understanding is looking at things in ways that we haven't looked at necessarily before. So this is a challenge for all of us, whether you agree or disagree or want this all to just end so you can go back to sleep or whatever you do in your free time away from this platform. Here's Dr. Jane Claire Jones. What are the tenets of radical feminism? Well, I mean, can we call it second wave? We tend to now, now in the current crisis or in the current stage that we are in, we all tend to define ourselves as radical feminists. Okay, yeah. But we're not actually all radical feminists. I mean, if we were in the second wave now, I wouldn't be a radical feminist. I would be like a post-structuralist, socialist feminist. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, we all call ourselves radical feminists now to like distinguish ourselves from liberal what we call either liberal feminism or intersectional feminism intersectional feminism thinks it's more radical and thinks that it's a very okay. complicated story intersectional feminism has a caricature of second wave feminism okay. which is what it calls white feminism okay yeah i see yeah. that popping up yeah yeah so when intersectional feminism and what we have to, to make things more complicated we also hmm. have to distinguish intersectionality as an academic discourse that was developed which was actually came out of second wave feminism there's nothing wrong with crenshaw's so that that was kimberly crenshaw's a black legal scholar and feminist so she developed i don't know it's a very famous essay called mapping the margins yeah. in which she laid out the principles of intersectional analysis it's unimpeachable like there's it, it's just a very necessary and important analytic method right yeah so okay, yeah. whenever you analysis. are looking whenever whenever but it has to be done it's it's a point it's it's a methodology right it's yeah. not a dogma the methodology is whenever you are looking at something and you are doing a piece of feminist analysis you should pay attention to the way in which any particular group of people that you're looking at experience will be inflected by the way in which it intersects with other axes of oppression and if you're a white woman and you're looking at something involving black women, you should not just impose 
your assumptions about your experience as a white woman onto black women when you're analyzing them because their experience is different from yours because it's inflected by other axes of oppression. Okay. Okay. So, yes, this is all absolutely correct. Around 2011, 2012, this thing that I call Tumblrized intersectionality yeah. emerged in tandem with trans activism. They came at the same time. It was like a pincer movement. Um, hmm. And I've actually there's a piece on my website where I talk where, where I talk about what intersect what work intersectional feminism is doing to support trans activism, basically. Okay. Um, and in that analysis, it flattened, firstly, it flattened the second wave into this caricature that it called white feminism. And suddenly it was like, we've just discovered that race is important. And we were like, really? <laughs> <laughs> You've just discovered no feminist before you, including all the black ones who were second wave feminists, had noticed that race was important. Uh, no we were just and then they turned it into this caricature of like the most liberal type of like Sheryl Sandbergy type you know we just want you know it's all about the glass ceiling and it's all about like white women just being interested in like gaining more power mm. within you know and paying black women to do their work for them right so it took a it took a thing which is which is true which isn't I mean that is a small part yeah. of the current political scene it took that and then it said that is the whole of second wave feminism and this is all morally bankrupt mm. <laughs> and at the same time it said the reason why why second wave, and this is the clever bit slash insidious the reason why second wave feminism is all morally bankrupt is because it focused on female people <laughs> mm -hmm. and feminism isn't about focusing on female people because if you focus on f the only people who care about focusing on female people are rich white middle class women and therefore feminism must be about all of the axes of oppression and the most oppressed people are trans women and therefore feminism should be about centering trans women mm -hmm. and suddenly and and because of intersectionality female people have no shared political interests and there is no shared experience and there is no such thing as womanhood and that is an essentialist idea and blah 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 and lo and behold feminism ceases to exist actually because women female people cease to exist as a class right and so it destroy essentially they used intersectionality to destroy feminist class analysis okay and then they were like now now you have to center these male people <laughs> and we yeah. were all like and if you don't center them you're a racist because yeah the only people who don't center them are those white feminists over there so and that was very powerful because um there's a kind of irony to it right is that through using that caricature um, it's it's a very powerful controlling technique to tell left wing white women that they're racist. They they'll suddenly they because because you can't turn around. If you have a decent left wing anti racist analysis, you can't turn around and go I'm not racist because you are because you're white, <laughs> and you know you can't say that, so you can't assert that you're not racist. Hmm. And then we all got, I mean, this is one of the things that happened when it first happened. This was like five or six years ago. We were like, and at that point, there were no black women on our side, right? So we were hamstrung, actually, hmm. for, for a while. 
Um, and we were, I, one of the, I left a fight like two or three years ago for many reasons, but we were completely stuck for a while. And one of the reasons I left was I was like, there's nothing we can do with this accusation of racism until black radical feminists turn up and start and get in the trenches with us. Um, <clears throat> Hmm. Because now the black radical feminists just turn up and just go, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, we're, and we're like, okay. <laughs> and they're like, this has got nothing to do with this. And black women also don't think that male people are female, by the way. <laughs> so hmm. that, that was an important part of the story. But I mean, intersectional feminism as it's practiced out there is bullshit. Well, do you think that that was uh, uh, just a natural outcome of that analysis, that once it made its way into the popular sphere, it would degrade in that way? Or do you think it was corrupted or just seen as a as a tool for power once it's decoupled from the uh, knowledge production of using it as an analysis tool? I mean... There is a historical black hole, right, around how the discourse emerged, which we, we actually can't solve, right? Because it's not, hmm. um, and the problem is now it's been taken back into universities and legitimized, right? But okay. it, didn't, it didn't appear in that form. It appeared in, in, in social media. Right, yeah. so we first ran in, into it. The first time we ran into it, I don't know if you've read my like Annals of the Turf War thing, but like we first ran into it in like, you should have a look at that if you want to get like a summary of, well, the experience from like our, from the perspective of British feminists anyway. Okay. Um, we ran into it in like, uh, I don't know, 2011, 2012. Mm -hmm. And, um, in in not in in the university or out in no, social media. Like, no, okay. no, no, on Twitter. Okay, on Twitter. Where, we ran. Where you, we ran. Where it was coming after ran, you, or you guys were. You're doing your work and expressing your your positions. Well, and I, then... I, t I, t I tell you what happened. I can, I can tell you my personal story. What happened was me and another feminist activist I knew. Um, it was actually her idea, but I was helping her try to set up a feminist party. And we did a certain amount of work on it together, kind of coming together with you know these are the things that we think we would like to focus on and blah 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 and it's like we weren't expecting to win but we wanted to like uh, there's going to be some cat interruptions at some point yeah me way. too me too yeah. okay <laughs> um uh what are you doing down there yeah um but you guys wanted to at least get exposure to the possibility of a platform going forward and and bringing right, attention right and bringing yeah. attention to it and also to I think, I mean, and this is something I've, I'm still interested in, right, is to me, feminism is just women's issues, right? Feminism mm -hmm. is like a, is like a, this is what's so frustrating about the intersectional critique here. Yeah, to me, feminism is like a wholesale critique, right? It's like, we have things to say about the economy, and we have things to say about environmentalism, and we have things to say about meaningful labor, and we have things to say, I mean, it's not, it's not just the things that people c typically think of as being like under the province of feminism right so mm -hmm. and i'm still interested in doing this right because we're all in a terrible political situation we've got a governing class that doesn't know what they're doing like mm -hmm. blah, 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 and really good second wave feminism is a very deep 
it's actually a very, very deep analysis of like the structures of thought and how they relate to our, our social relations and, you know, how, how things would be different if our relations were not structured around dominance hierarchies, basically, um, and how that would affect, uh, you know, people's lives, how we valued the type of labor people did, how people's social relations were constructed, Hmm. you know, how, how duties of care were distributed, all types of stuff. Yeah. Have you, have you seen, um, a, uh, an effective social, uh, group, uh, that can uh, work in the real world and, and be effective, um, without a dominance hierarchy, whether explicit or implicit? Is it possible um, for humans to interact in a productive manner without a hierarchy? Um, it depends what you mean by hierarchy. I think there can be hierarchies. I don't think they necessarily need to be dominance hierarchies. Okay. I mean, okay. okay. So dominance hierarchies are hierarchies in which certain people's needs are privileged. I mean, this to some extent it relates to transactivism it's about narcissism and whose needs are prioritized and whether there is mutual recognition yeah okay so if you if you think about the kinds of things people say about the difference between like masculine and feminine management styles for example mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. you might still have someone who has who is in a position of authority but the way in which leadership is exercised is not it's not exercised around dominance okay there are ways of doing that so okay Dominance Humans. as opposed to, uh, are, you, are you saying that dominance is basically? Sorry, yeah. Well, it, I just, I wonder if, if you mean dominance is, is purely just a, a negative sort of action where one person controls everybody else and everybody else's resources yeah. are going to them yeah. and through them yeah. and redistributed through through that central authority. So, yeah. Authority and dominance are slightly different things, okay. I would say. All right. Yeah. Because authority can be gained by expertise, mm-hmm. for example. So somebody might exhibit a particular degree of skill doing something, whether it's knowledge or an ability to do something, and then the people in the community will extend respect and recognition towards that person, okay. and they will develop authority. That authority isn't necessarily granted in dominance. Okay. It might give them some power, but this is the thing is like there are different forms of power and not all forms of power are dominance. Okay. So dominance is where power is exerted in a way in which coercive, coerc- coercive, co- coerc- coercively to some degree or another and in which there is, there is not mutual recognition. That's okay. the important thing, right? Okay. When I, when I think, when I talk about what, social organization would look like without dominance what i'm basically talking about is what in what we would call like intersubjectivity right so like you have two people and they recognize each other and they recognize that each other have needs and then they ethically negotiate okay around those needs now i can be your manager and i can either make you do something by being dominant or i can make you do something i can go okay so this needs to be done so where how are you fixed like yeah how, how long do you think that's going to take you to do you know what kind of support do you need blah, blah blah or i can be like get that on my desk by five o'clock on friday otherwise i'm going to fire your ass 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. I've had both kinds of bosses, and I know which ones I work better under. Exactly, and generally, people work better when they're not being dominated because nobody likes being dominated, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. but, but people like exerting dominance, and patriarchal mm. masculinity functions around dominance, right? And you know that's true in sexuality, and it's true in uh, you know. Work, mm. work relations and it's true in all kinds of social relations okay so, so are, are you saying that all sorts of patriarchs all sorts of male authority are inherently uh, a dominant hierarchy no. okay no n- n- no because authority is not the same as dominance right okay i'm saying that the structure of patriarchal there are male people in this society who have authority who do not exercise that authority in the mode of dominance And there are female people in this society who exercise authority in a patriarchal mode of dominance. Because Uh, very often, actually, female people who get themselves into positions of power in this society are actually more identified with the performance of a certain form of dominance. Okay, yeah. I'm just just wondering... You brought up earlier that um, there's a caricature of second wave feminism um, by, uh, I guess, the intersectionalists uh, or the populist intersectionalist stuff. And the problem that I've had and I'm trying to get around this is that the term patriarchy seems to be used as kind of a flattening of a very complex, uh, you know, not even a system, but like it's used as as strictly as a negative against which critiques are made and it seems to me that i've i've had experiences of my own authority and of other authorities that that is very patriarchal but in a very positive sense in a, in a the loving father sense rather than the domineering uh, alpha male sense yeah i, I mean if... i don't think the loving father is an archetype of patriarchy okay we have i mean I mean, this is overly simplistic, yeah? But if you look at um, kind of psychoanalytic models about this, so all human beings, ideally, we have a, you can think about this, there's like a maternal and a paternal function, right? And there is, a, in any parenting relationship or any relationship with authority, there's a caring function and then there's a, a disciplinary. Providing, oh, disciplinary, okay. There's a disciplinary function. Now, how you discipline, you have to set boundaries. That's important. How you discipline, discipline doesn't have to be done in in a mode of dominance. Very often it is. Um, It it can be more expedient to act uh, out of anger or reaction to an errant uh, behavior uh, than it is to slow down, be the adult, assess the situation, stop the okay. stop the behavior, and then try to teach the child why that behavior needs to be stopped. Okay, exactly. And I think, I mean, in transactional analysis, you would talk about this in terms of like parent-adult-child relations, right? Yeah. So, so mm. what transactional analysis calls adult, yeah? Adult is the thing that does the mutual recognition, right? But the adult, yeah. that also requires um, emotional self-processing, right? Yes. So someone does something and they piss you off. Yeah, you don't immediately respond. You're like, okay, this is like, how am I going to go? It's how you do with a child when they're having a tantrum or whatever, right? Like you have to, hmm. 
modulate your own emotional responses. When we say, when I say something like patriarch, like patriarchal masculinity promotes dominance, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What we would say, or what I would say about that, is that it's to do with the way in which men emotionally self-regulate, right? Mm-hmm. Is that actually the way in which we raise men does not actually promote high-functioning emotional self-regulation. Um, so men tend to try and get their needs met very often by exerting in, in more coercive ways rather than in, if, if you look at the difference between mm. like assertion, assertion and coercion, mm-hmm. assertion requires more self-regulation. Okay. Right. You look puzzled. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm just processing it because it seems like, uh, I think that, well, one, are you, are you, anali- are you only looking at the negative attributes of men and is because those are the things that stand out. And so that allows you to form kind of a stereotype of the negative aspects of patriarchy and say that that is the pa- dominant pa- form. Pa- patriarch. I mean, I think the thing is what you have to separate or what I what, when I say patriarchal masculinity, I don't mean men. Yeah. Yeah. And when both men and to some extent women, patriarchal masculinity is like, is a form. It's not. It's a mode of organization and and power in the world. It's a a mode of social organization. It's a mode of social relation. And it's underpinned by a set of psychic structures and a set of Hmm. like interpersonal, interpersonal ways of dealing with things. Okay. Now, not all men, to some extent, men are inculcated in patriarchal masculinity, right? Hmm. And a lot of the stuff that we talk about, about, you know, the, the fundamental structure of patriarchal masculinity is about having to maintain, like, invulnerability, uh, having to maintain, hmm. not being allowed to be seen as weak, not being allowed to be seen as dependent, um, having to maintain hmm. dominance, right? So it has a certain set of characteristics. And to some extent, to greater or lesser degrees, depending on what kind of families male children are raised in and what kind of social environments they're raised in and whether they live in liberal communities or not or whatever, hmm. mm-hmm. those values are impressed more or less yeah. If you look at the English public school system, for example, right? the English public school system is a classic example of if you wanted to, to, to think about what is it that we do to male children in order to produce a certain kind of behavior that will facilitate a certain kind of power structure. The English public school system is like the axiomatic example. Of OK, it. yeah, yeah. Where right? boys are take, separated. You take male children away from their mothers before they have fully internalized what in psychoanalytic terms we'd call like self-holding, yeah? So Hmm. before they're fully able to process their own emotions. So Hmm. when you're a child, you can't can't process your own feelings properly, right? Mm -hmm. And, And if you have good parenting, that's what your parents do. They teach you how to hold your emotions. So you yeah. get frustrated and your mum comes along and is like, oh, okay, it's okay, don't worry. And la la. And she lets you get a bit frustrated and she calms you down and she contains your feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what good parenting is, as well as drawing boundaries, right? If you take boys away from their mothers when they're seven, they have not internalized that. And then you put them in a very, very hostile environment. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
which causes them to cut parts of themselves off. Hmm. So they become emotionally dislocated. And then there's a very, very rigid hierarchical structure, which has a very clear dominance hierarchy. So the okay. older boy, so the older boys essentially bully the younger boys and you have yep. to tolerate this process of being bullied and then you get into a position of dominance and then yeah. and all of the unprocessed feeling, yeah, you then project outwards and you turn it into aggression. Okay. Um, that's kind of a model. Yeah. Yeah. It's a kind of and the, and why do you do that? You do that so you produce men that you can send to India. Yeah. To, to run the empire. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because because they're, they're... I don't know if you can get away from. I don't know if this is a fact. I don't know if you can get away from this observation that if you have, let's say you have 10 people in a room in a very stressful situation and the person who can maintain invulnerability the longest is going to come out ahead over and over and over again. So it's going to create, you're going to get more rewards for being invulnerable than you are for being vulnerable in any stressful situation, unless you create some sort of controlling container but that controlling container will then have to maintain invulnerability against other um control i mean i think i think i think i think i think this is the thing and i think this is what this is what i would say from a kind of feminist slash like hippie buddhist analysis right we think of invulnerability like a fortress right Hmm. so we think that in a stressful situation, the opposite of invulner- the opposite of, of invulnerability is going to be like panicking and freaking out, right? Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we in the West we tend to think of it in terms of very rigid, hard yeah. structures, right? Yeah. If you think about it, how the Taoists would think about it, yeah, or how I would think about it, there's also you know there's strength in bending. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, I was going and, there too. Yeah. And actually, it's it's much more resilient in yeah. the end, right? Because if you try and hold everything like this, like hmm. the thing about processing your the thing about having emotional containment, right, isn't that you don't feel anything; it's that you're not scared of your feelings. Hmm. That's mm-hmm. the difference. When you teach men in vulnerability, you teach them to repress feelings. Okay. Yeah. If you teach if you teach what in philosophical terms we would call vulnerability, you don't teach them just to like go to pieces. You teach them how to have an internal emotional container that means that they can experience their feelings at an appropriate time. Obviously, if you're in a like underground station and it catches on fire, you don't freak out then there. Yeah. And if you were a healthy human being who had good emotional regulation, you wouldn't because actually we have very good mechanisms for that. We go deadly calm when that shit happens mm-hmm. <laughs> generally. If we're fun- yeah. if we're functioning right, mm-hmm. um, in a case like that, when you come out, you should let them freak out, right? Because you actually have to. One of the reasons people have post-traumatic stress disorder is because we don't let people freak out after they've gone through traumatic things, and then the 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 hmm. energy gets, gets caught in their system, right? Yeah. Um, because we think people freaking out, we, we we perceive people freaking out as a sign of something bad happening right sometimes it's necessary like the body needs to discharge yeah um if you go through a traumatic situation and you freak out afterwards that's not a sign of vulnerability that's a sign of health um so we have to think about these things in a much more 
contextual, like appropriate yeah. way. Right? I just like, I wonder I wonder if if gendering if gendering the that rigid rigidity um, as patriarchal or, or saying that the, this this system of toxic behavior is masculine and, and gendering it, if that doesn't um, make it more difficult for a more fluid understanding to occur about what it means to be a beneficent rather than a, uh, a controlling or coercive leader, if it's just leadership and power structures to, to gender it seems like uh, almost to carry on a, a sort of sexism that we've been trying to get away from for the last 150 years. But this is a description prescription problem, right? Like, hmm. I'm not gendering it. It is gendered. Like, is it though? Yes. Well, then what, what causes it to like be gendered? The, the, what causes it to be gendered is... Men are better Western at pulling off the, this behavior than women no, are? No, or? no, 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 no. What causes it to be gendered in origin, right, is is very complicated, yeah? Hmm. I mean, this is actually what my philosophical work is on, right? My philosophical work is, like, on, like, the me the metaphysical structures of subjectivity, right? Like, the hmm. image, like, the symbolic... It's hard to explain. Like how I like think, this stuff. How we think bodies, how we think subjects, how we think... Um, Traditionally, Western Western thought has thought subjectivity, and when we say it has thought subjectivity, it means it has thought masculinity because they didn't think about women's subjectivity, right? So when Western philosophy thinks, what is it to be human? It isn't thinking about women's experiences. It it's, it is gendered, yeah, mm. because you wouldn't <laughs> you wouldn't construct. So a lot of a lot of my philosophical work is actually on like invulnerability and penetrability and like these types of things, right? Mm -hmm. You would not construct subjectivity as invulnerable, impenetrable, fortress-like if you were including women's subjectivity, right? Because women's subjectivity isn't structured like that because of the nature of our bodies. Mm -hmm. Right. When you grow people inside you and you feed mm -hmm. them with your bodies and you have blood and milk passing across your bodies and because of the way we have sex, if we're heterosexual, it doesn't make sense to construct the image of a human as a fortress. Right. Yeah. Or to, okay. to think that you're to think that the skin is like a wall. Hmm. This is this is this. This gets very complicated, right? Because, and, and this is to some extent obviously why you know, we're kind of off topic, right? <laughs> but um, to some extent, this is why I ended up involved in this fight. It's not, I was telling you the story, but it was to do with setting up a feminist party. But, but actually, I work a lot on like the symbolic, the relationship between metaphysics and images and symbolism and bodies, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And how male embodiment has has fed into our concepts of subjectivity and how we have structured our ideas of personhood if you look at legal if you look at the concept of legal personhood yeah um a legal person mm. is nominally neutral but they're not actually right because we have all these territorial conceptions 
that underpin our idea of what a person is, right? And for example, that causes a huge amount of problems when it comes to like the prosecution of rape. Hmm. Which is why you always get people talking about trespass and, and burglary hmm. and things like this when, when people are discussing like a violation we, of a of a domain. It's a violation of a domain, exactly. Okay. So we think of bodies as domains. We think of bodies as fields or territories or houses or castles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then how do you construct what is the personhood of a penetrable creature? Right? Or or a creature that is coded as penetrable. Hmm. Um, so I'm when I say it is gendered, it is gendered, right? Because when Western philosophy thought a person, it thought that person as impenetrable. Okay. Yeah. Right? And that's related to the structure of vulnerability, to the structure of masculine vulnerability. It's related to the structure of identity, right? If you look at trans activism, the whole issue about pronoun fascism is about the fact that they're not thinking identity is relational. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Identity, identity is a relation. Yeah. I think you talked to, to Asher about this, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, identity is a relation. It's not something you possess. You're not a castle. Men are not islands. Human mm. beings are not islands. Neither male nor... The thing is, is that the argument is, from a feminist point of view, it's not that women are penetrable and men are not penetrable, right? It's that human personhood... Is interpenetrating. Is, is interpenetrating, right? Okay. Exactly. But, which, which, which doesn't, if, if you build on that, I, it seems like the complexity is inherent in, in that base conception that, that every, every body is actually in, interpenetrating every other every, body. Every, everybody which is interpenetrating. Which leads right. automatically, if I just kind of jump to like the end of that thought experiment, it leads to like a rowdy sea of chaos, which ironically enough is like the, you know, the Petersonian feminine, right? Like it's, it's this incredibly yeah, it's, fluid, it's not, it, yeah, can not, it be contained, can it be, can it be simplified? Right. But as, like, as a, my immediate response to that is to go to perceive that as chaos is a masculinist response. Right? Well, That's I don't think I, I don't think chaos is necessarily uh, but it's, but it's, bad. But it's, it's just how 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 is it simplified? How is it controlled? How is it regulated? How do you how do you make how do you make contracts how, and how do you build wealth and how do you uh, assign functions and like how how do you build a very complex structure if there are no units of the structure to build? It's like trying to make a Lego castle out of This is kind of hilarious because this is what men always see. That like, oh my god, everything is all flared and it's all going to get out of control. so funny it's like a visceral like ah reaction right i i find it hilarious um that's that's it right because it's firstly okay so when we come back to it being gendered right the problem is we think this is not what we're supposed to be talking about at all but like i love this shit so um me too me too we um the problem is is our brain spatialized right yeah so Concepts and words are spatializing. Hmm. Now, it's very obvious why our brains do that, because we live in a world of material objects and our cognitive faculties develop so that we can manipulate them, right? So, Hmm. great. Very important. No one's saying get rid of that. (laughs) Yeah. The problem is, is that spatialization produces either or thinking, right? 
So we're like, it's this or it's that. Yeah. So from your, that reaction to the fluidity, yeah, they're like, is a sense that if there are not clear delineations, everything just becomes a blob. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then, and this is very complicated, and this is related to sexual misogyny and all kinds of stuff. Sirens and sea monsters and, like, big devouring mouths. And yeah. you would get sucked down into the depths and... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a reason why I have a whole chapter at the beginning of my Prince book on, like, women and wetness. And, yes. like, this dude, this dude is not scared of rivers. He wants to jump in that shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that's... Blake. That's someone who is not... He does not have any sexual. That's a lack of sexual. Like you could not signal it more clearly. Everyone's like, "Why does? Why do women?" A fancy lack of pictures? sexual like, what? It's a lack of sexual misogyny. Hmm. It's a non-fear of like being dragged into the depths. Yeah. yeah. Right. I'm going to get consumed. Yeah. And it's like, right. All that shit is patriarchal. Right? Yeah, but like, this, okay. So this, so this taking is, that this, into account, I'm. I am. No, because the opposite of clean lines yeah is isn't complete chaos it isn't it's not blobs it's identity and difference exist in a in a complicated and constantly oscillating relationship right when i say identity is a relation it doesn't mean it doesn't exist in me right i Mm -hmm. i exist I exist independence. It doesn't mean I am. I'm not what merged. You are seen. Yeah. I'm not merged perfectly. Okay. Right? There is still, but, A unit. but in order, to, but in order to think about it, you have to think, okay, so this comes back to penetrability, right? The difference between what I would call patriarchal logic and what I'm trying to develop or what feminist philosophy has been trying to develop can be thought of as the difference between, uh, impenetrability or impermeability logic, like thinking in terms of solids, mm-hmm. and then thinking in terms of, I don't know if you saw the video I did, thinking in terms of things that interpenetrate but don't merge. Like a dance? So it's not, this is very metaphorical, not, I think you can convey it. Um, no, it's both and, right? So if you think about the relationship between mind and body, right? So here's a classic example. Here's a problem with a philosophical problem we've been banging our head against since the beginning of time, right? Clearly, materiality and consciousness do not have exactly the same properties, right? There is something meaningfully different between my Mm. consciousness and and my kneecap, right? (laughs) Hmm. But clearly, they're not completely separate either, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's very obvious that our emotions cause physical effects and that physical effects cause emotions and that our thoughts affect our bodies and vice versa, right? If we have a psychophysical problem of some type, whether it's a backache or whatever, there are various levels that you can intervene on, right? You can intervene physically, you can intervene at the level of digestion, but you can also intervene sometimes mentally because sometimes you have a pain in your back because your best friend, like, I don't know, said something to you three weeks ago and you didn't deal with it and you've Mm. tightened up. And if you actually remember what your friend said, that you repressed and then you sit down and cry for three hours, your backache will go. Right? Yeah, okay, yeah. (laughs) This happens to me not infrequently. And then I'm like, oh, I've repressed something. Okay, all right, Mm -hmm. you cry. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, 
oh, and suddenly I don't feel nauseous anymore or like whatever way your body has tried to tell you that there's something stuck in the system, right? Yeah, yeah. Our bodies and our, we are psychophysical things, right? Yes, yes. We don't understand that relationship. It's, it, this is actually like a spectrum, right? It's almost like degrees of, of concentration or something. It's like the energy gets heavier or lighter or something. Yeah, and yeah. At, at some level, it's consciousness and at some level, it's matter. And then some place in between, hmm. it's interacting, right? How do we think about that? Well, we can't think that they're complete. If you think about it using a logic of solids, you go... You, you end up with the same classic problem that we've, this is what the, the circle philosophy has been running around the whole time. Either they're separate or they're the same or they're separate or they're the yeah. same, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you think about things in terms of solids, they can either only be one thing or another. They, they can either only be different or identical, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? When you think about things in terms of interpenetration, uh, the way I think about it is in terms of gases. So let's not, okay, let's put aside the sirens and the getting sucked into the depth for a while and let's think about oxygen and nitrogen in air. <clears throat> now, air is a phenomenon. It is produced by the relation of two elements. Those elements are completely interpenetrating, but they don't disappear into each other, right? It's not chaos. They are two things that are mixed together, but they're not completely merged. They don't lose their identity. They're still oxygen and nitrogen. Yeah. They're just really complicated. They're just a complicated intermixture, and together that intermixture creates another phenomenon, yeah. which yeah. is there, which has an emergent property that those two other properties don't have. Right? Now, if you think about our, our relationships between us and other people, it's like a dance, right? It's yeah. not chaos. There's me and there's you. And then there's the very complicated interaction between us, right? Yeah. Yeah. And my experience of myself is a very complicated mediation of my experience and your experience of me and my perception of your experience of me and the yeah. way in which you're responding yeah. to Because other people are like mirrors, right? So we get a lot of information about ourselves from what is reflected back to us. Yeah. Um, so my sense of myself is not separate, can't be separated from another person. Yeah. It doesn't mean I am the same as that other person. And it I'm doesn't not. mean that you're not responsible for your actions in relation to the other person? No, it doesn't mean that, you, no. Okay. Ownership of your own feelings and your own actions is absolutely crucial, right? There's a, I mean, this is also a problem that comes up in feminism, right? Hmm. Um, it doesn't matter. Things happen to you. They are unjust. Whether they are unjust or not actually doesn't change who is responsible for dealing with those feelings. Because no one else can deal with your feelings but you. Like, we are intensely dependent creatures, but we are still inside our own psychophysical bubble to some extent, right? I can pick up on your feelings, right? If I'm emotionally, if I'm not projecting, and yeah, 
But actually, my capacity to read your feelings correctly is very largely determined by how good I am at processing my own feelings. Because mm -hmm. I have, to, in order to be well attuned. So what what you want is good attunement, right? When I talk about attunement, what, yeah, versus achievement. Well, achievement is important too. Like human flourishing is a very important thing. <laughs> we should think more about flourishing and less about dominance. That would help. Um, but when you talk about the relationship, like social relations, what you want is good attunement. You want people who are responding appropriately to each other. It comes yeah. back to the par parenting thing, right? Yeah. It comes people back to are, music too. Well, this is why I'm writing a book about Prince, right? Because actually it's much easier to explain this using yes. music as an analogy, right? Yes. Because also music is temporal, so you can talk about dance and you can talk about rhythm and you can talk about these things, yeah. right? And yeah, this is one of Prince's favorite questions. What is the difference between harmony and agreement? Um, <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, but it's about it's about achievement. I mean, that's what it's like. it is. It's like two it's like two forks, right? Um, mm. But to get achievement, you have to be you have to be clean, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so you have to be constantly self caring and and reflexive and reflecting and, and attentive. Exactly. And so, so what I, what I think I want to put put out a couple things here. Um, one. Can I, smoke my, can I smoke my pipe? Oh yeah, totally. Uh, you're the professor. Okay. Do whatever you want. Okay. So, oh, awesome. Um, so, I guess the question that I want to go towards is that, and this is this is the thought that I've had for a long time, for about twenty years, like when I was when I was supposed to be in college, but just went to use bookstores. Um, where where I, I, I perceived <laughs> it's thing to do. so I, I perceived and this is in the mid to late 90s and then there was this outcropping of a certain uh, sort of feminism that was very activist oriented that was very um, negative towards men and uh, and it was kind of situated in the academy and I think this might be some you could probably say what what I'm talking about but I, I don't know um, but I, I developed a certain um, perception of, of feminism that I thought was uh, out of tune. It wasn't an attunement. And, and what I perceived was that there, there is a, a masculine discourse that has mostly been built by men over however many, however many ages. And because men uh, got About this technology... Six millennia. And because men uh, got this technology of writing, they encoded that, that thought process in mm -hmm. time. Um, mm -hmm. And whether or not women were disallowed from that technology or didn't really care is is a whole question. But I think in tandem with men building this this uh, this discourse of philosophy that we can now look back as recorded, women were still interacting with each other through a completely yeah. different discourse through the yeah. playground, through the through doing like this other activity of gathering and stuff and 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 speaking with the with the babies around and stuff and and doing a lot of work uh building language and building this uh this i guess this kind of this philosophy of care and this philosophy of yeah. attentiveness and i wonder yes. if if once feminism came into the academy there wasn't bound to be some sort of of tension that doesn't necessarily uh result in a in a generative uh discussion because we're trying to retrofit this whole female discourse into this masculine 
discourse when they might when it might be a huge project to actually mediate between those two without necessarily being contentious and so this is why I want to go back to describing feminism in relationship to the patriarchy and critiquing it in relationship to the patriarchy might not be necessary or it might only be necessary in order to say, okay, there's certain tools that have been developed in the masculine discourse that we can use, but certain things that the masculine discourse can't cover. We need to use other forms of communication. I mean, I mean, I mean, you can think about this as a, okay. I mean, okay. So this is why I make a distinction. I mean, I make multiple distinctions, but I make a distinction between patriarchal masculinity and masculinity and patriarchal femininity and femininity. When but I is use... there a matriarchal femininity and matriarchal masculinity? Because well, and, and furthermore, like, and I want to bring one more point up to go back a little bit, is that it's easier to critique men's actions because they are overt, because they're out there, because they make a mark in the world. It's more difficult because... By and large, the feminine way of dealing with things is covert, is by suggestion, is indirect. And this this comes just from my own experience working with children, uh, working with women as a preschool teacher for a long time and just being mm -hmm. attentive to just basic modes of interaction. So it's 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 much more difficult to see the negative matriarchal forms and the positive matriarchal forms because they're not as overt as the patriarchal forms. That... Well, I mean, they don't. They don't. I mean, they don't have the same. I mean, like you say, they don't have the same kind of written record. Yeah, I mean, we have. I mean, one of the things is that we don't have is we don't have very many forms of what is recognised as like women's culture. Right? Um, there are part of the project of second wave feminism was to try and recover aspects hmm, of that. Okay. Right? Hmm. Um, and to use certain kinds of. I mean, all of these things, but these kinds of images, images of water, um, like images yeah, of images. weaving, images of spinning, like oh, these true. types of, Music. like, yeah. yeah, like ways of expressing this. This is what the the feminist philosophy that I'm interested in. I mean, this is what's interesting about the relationship to transactivism. This is all, like, this is not what I do, right? What I do is this stuff. Like, what are the, how do we articulate these, like, positive modalities of like what has come out of women's lived experience in terms of mm. what we know about care practices and attunement and how you manage social relations right and that's not to say this is why i was saying i make the distinctions between patriarchal masculinity and femininity and femininity and masculinity and when i say those things i'm not saying these are the ways in which men must behave i in an ideal human society the things that are coded masculine and the things that are coded feminine would be incarnated equally among all human beings, right? But if you if you return to a kind of Taoist model, you want whatever you want a balance of yin and yang, right? You want yeah. outward energy and you want receptive energy. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that there's not a concentration of femininity in certain bodies and a concentration of masculinity in certain other bodies. I mean, that's an emergent only, property. But only, of... but, but, but only only at the extremes, right? In this respect, the transactivism gender is a spectrum. <laughs> this is correct. Right? Mm. Like there are hyper masculine men and then there are hyper feminine women. Yeah. Right? And then there's like a whole load of people in the middle yeah. who are more or less a mixture. Right. Yeah, and but there's going to be a tendency of concentration. It, it like it just say any pair, any 
pair, any marriage, let's just say, like just a monogamous uh, pair bond of whatever sexes. There's going to be a dynamic that forms over time where somebody is going to be generally more focused outwardly and somebody who's going to be generally more focused inwardly. Somebody who's going to be good uh, about provi- providing and somebody that's going to be good about caring. As soon as you get into this, though, sorry, yeah. like as soon as you get into how relationships obviously this becomes very difficult right well and 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 assume and admittedly this is a masculine way of dividing things up and to go back to what you're saying about the oxygen and the nitrogen that's all fine and and good that it's in the air but once i want to do something with that nitrogen i need to isolate it extract it and concentrate it and then i can do something cool with nitrogen like get high or make whipped cream right right which it's like and so nobody is saying yeah or not nobody we're not saying that this set of thinking like the ability to draw distinctions and to manipulate objects and like that mm-hmm. needs to be completely kicked out the window yeah right? you're saying that there's a boundary to it there's a time and a place for it and it's not the full it has, way it of has it, it's, it's like a hammer and nail problem right it's the tendency of the human intellect to spatialize and manipulate is incredibly useful, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, none of this would have been built if we are were not capable of doing these very complicated spatial um, manipulation, this, that kind of thing, yeah? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's actually quite bad <laughs> when it comes to thinking about social relations, thinking about how to organize mm. like societies thinking about how mm. to think about the relationships between things that are not spatial <laughs> hmm. Hmm. which is a lot of stuff actually hmm. such yeah. as re- relationships I, i'm just i'm trying to situate it in something that i can get a hold of like well everything forget- everything everything that is not a spatial object Okay, so like, like I, this is the metaphor. Please shoot it down or discard it. Like, there's, there's a preschool. Okay, and this is just my experience. So there's a preschool. There's a building. There's a playground. There's, uh, there's a kitchen and a dining room, and then a play area and a nap area. So there's all these spatial uh, relationships, and in all those spaces, there's different things that you can do. But every day has its own uh, chronological relationship. Uh, Mm-hmm. kind of layout so you, you arrive there's arrive free time then there's snack then there's a lesson then there's lunch right. then there's nap right. and, and so that's right. another relationship and within that ordering of the space and the time then comes to be situations where people can learn can grow and and learn and grow in different ways learn about objects learn about themselves learn about the bodies learn about how to relate with other people and then let's, learn let's about come back, let's come back let's come back to music right yeah um, that's not structured in that way, right? Like, it's not, the notes are not separate little spatial units, right? They form holes and they exist in relation and the emergent property of the whole thing is formed hmm. by the space and the notes and the relations between the notes mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what it creates is a wave actually yeah 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 not a waveform yeah a waveform right so this is why i was writing about ecstasy and poems and waveforms right because could you define ex- could you define ecstasy um well 
Mm. Okay, so the etymological meaning of ecstasy is outside of oneself, like ecstasis. Okay. So stasis, yeah, so ecstasis, right? So um, outside the standing of oneself, yeah. actually. Huh. Okay, so ecstasy for me, what I'm interested in philosophically, this is why I'm interested in jouissance, it's why I'm interested in poems, ultimately, is flow, yeah? Yeah. Is is the is the state of non self consciousness and that is in non self consciousness. So self human self reflection, right, is again is a spatial relation to, to some extent. So it's ourself when we look at ourselves. The relation between us and something else is like a mirroring and it happens internally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when we're in flow we lose that. We become the thing we're doing. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So again, there's not a hard relationship there. When you're writing or playing a piece of music, when we're having this conversation now, I mean, this is why I don't like this little thing of me up in the corner, right? I don't want to look at myself while I'm talking to you. Because because I want that gone. Because then I'm just talking to you. And the fact that every now and again I catch myself, like, you know. Yeah. um, And Hmm. actually, I'm going to. Now I've now I've mentioned that I'm gonna like stick my hand over the corner <laughs> of the screen because <laughs> it's it's messing my flow up. Um, you you don't you don't want to compose a piece of music with a mirror in front of you, do you? Yeah. Like the the whole point is to um, this is what virtuosity is, right? Virtuosity is like an unconscious. This is ideally what we do when we train people. We t- we teach we teach them unconscious competence, right? And then you get to a point where you have expertise and skill to such a degree that you just do it, and yeah. you and the thing you're doing become okay. So we can't think about something like that, which is actually how humans make meaning. For example, if we want to talk about what meaningful human activity is that's that's an optimal experience right mm-hmm. it's also when our brain chemistry is at its happiest right our brains are like we'd love this we're like yeah um and what's interesting about that is that that separation the separation between us and the reflection of ourselves or the thing that reflects back disappears and we become processed effectively mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that's a kind of thinking that you can't really get at if you're thinking about and that's not chaos right flow is not chaos mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you I don't I don't know if you can get to flow or sustain flow without mastery and I don't think you can get to mastery without a very hard delineation and ordering of time and space and object and container and where do I put my fingers on the fret and then how does this thing interact yeah, with yeah, the yeah. tube no, over no, there? No, like no, it, no, 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 I mean, I don't know about that. I mean, so I, I don't know if you can you, achieve you, you, that without like without breaking things down into manageable chunks without. Oh, saying, but, but no, but, but no not. one's saying. But but you, this is what what's what's worrying me, right? Yeah. It's an anal- it's an it's an it's an analysis synthesis division, right? You can't build things without pieces, right? Yeah, I'm a philosopher, right? Like I, I don't dislike analysis. <laughs> like concept, like breaking things down is it, it's a left brain, it's or a left brain, right brain thing, or however you want to yeah, think yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, okay. Right, like you need an analytic function, like you need identity, right? You also need a synthetic function and relation, right? Yeah, yeah. and 
the problem is not that when we talk about patriarchal masculinity, right, the problem is not the existence of analysis or the existence of either or thinking. The problem is the prioritization of that in a way that excludes the recognition of the value of its counterbalance Mm -hmm. and how those two things need to exist in their own interpenetration, in their own interpenetration, right? And the reason why that happens in patriarchal masculinity, and this is why I make the distinction between patriarchal masculinity and masculinity, is because patriarchal masculinity is founded on the repudiation of the feminine, because it's founded on that, oh my God, like it's gonna consume me, push it away thing, right? So I can't fall into the flow because I'm gonna get like swept and then I'm never going to come back, and the sea monsters are going to eat me. And well, yeah, but, but maybe that's a good maybe that's a good uh, response if you're not prepared to to manage the flow, and and if you're not prepared, you don't you, to, don't, you don't you don't need to manage the flow. Well, if you're flow not, hmm, I don't know. I, I don't. I, flow, well, does, I, I, like, I, flow doesn't happen unless you have virtuosity. Okay. Right? Like once you fall into it. This is the thing. I mean, I think this is the thing that women understand or that people. This is what interests me about. This is why I'm interested in Prince, right? What I'm interested in about Prince is why he was not scared of that, right? Why a 16-year-old straight man was not scared of this thing that, that frightens most men, right? Hmm. Which was just to go into that thing and then to release himself and to be completely un- hmm. Like that's and that's very interesting. That's what women really respond to in him because he just like throw his head back and just go, Phew. yeah. And we're all just like, whoa! <laughs> mm. You're not fucking scared of us, are you? <laughs> <laughs> You're really not. Like, I mean, he had all his own issues, right? But but in that, there's this very deep, like embodied, yeah, lack of fear of of the chaos of exactly well, that, that that jordan petersonian the feminine is chaos thing like that the thing is okay what we would say yeah is that that is constructed to a certain extent it's a self-generating thing if you are taught that your safety depends on these hard lines and that if you don't cling to these hard lines you're going to get swept away and you're going to get consumed then it becomes a self-perpetuating spiral right and then you start producing all of these okay ultimately this comes back to like the image of the oceanic and like the pre-edical right and people would say so the classic patriarchal story is we have to pull men away from their mothers because otherwise they'll get bombed emerges individuals out of this. Because it's conceived that the relationship between the mother and the son is, is a consumption. Mutual consumption. Yeah, like there's no separation. Again, it's an identity difference problem, right? Yeah. Either we're completely together or we're completely separate. Like, you individuate through relation, right? And, and the thing is, is that you, you do. <laughs> Humans individuate through interaction, right? Yeah. That's the point, right? Like, because the other person is interacting, 
but, but the path towards competency is is a gradual individuation from a relationship with that primary caregiver into a relationship with eventually the world or one aspect of the world uh, of mastery mm-hmm. and stuff. And so there is there there. It's, it goes backwards and forwards. Right? I just I I don't want to come across as accusing you or anything, but it, it seems like it's it's somehow misogynist to have a critique of the maternal, but it's not misandrist to have a critique of the paternal and, and to not be aware and wary that there are, that these things need each other and that there are are toxic aspects of both are come about from a, a, a over uh, an imbalance in either direction Uh, to, to bring it back to the Tao. Like there, there needs to be. Right. But we would say that the image of like, the consuming mother yeah yeah is a patriarchal projection well isn't the isn't the image of the uh the mean dominant male a, a projection of the uh of the feminine imagination or a projection of like isn't that just the opposite thing of of seeing like this patriarchal masculinity everywhere isn't that the exact same thing as seeing this okay, okay. So this, is, this is this is the bit where i'm just gonna go you don't know what it's like being a woman do you <laughs> <laughs> well so so you're saying that it's two different things that that you have a epistemological well, no, because, privilege we, over uh critique yeah, of we, we we move through the world through a power structure that's not created by us right whereas you don't so that's the difference. You you don't experience what we experience of the way men treat us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But so, do you see do you experience the way that men are treated by women? And and ultimately I'm not I don't want to get stuck in an argument well, well, back I mean, and forth. I mean, I'm no, just because, saying because, because I, obviously what I'm going to say is what I see of the way in which women treat men is an awful lot of people doing an awful lot of emotional domestic care work. <laughs> yeah. I see a lot of women carrying their men's, their, their male partner's feelings, yeah. tending to their children, clearing. I mean, like I'm not married, right? Yeah. I, uh, so I, I don't do that. Right. Yeah. I live in a world in which to be the kind of person that I want to be, given my personality, I couldn't be married because I don't, to, to fulfill my own intellectual potential, I could not do that if I were doing the amount of domestic and emotional labor a yeah. woman in this society would do yeah. for a male partner. Unless I came along one, a, a very rare male person. Yeah. I'm going to say something very arrogant now, right? But someone... <laughs> Someone, someone with my potentiality, if I was male, the chances are a, a, a female person would have come along by now and gone, let me help you move through the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? I understand that. I remember yeah. I remember. I once went to Kipling's house, right? And it's like National Trust property. And 
we went up to, I don't know why I was there, because Kipling was a fucking racist asshole, right? And I'm in this guy's house, and I'm like, why am I here? And anyway, it was because it was a beautiful day, and I wanted to go for a drive, and he has nice gardens anyway. So I go to Kipling's house. And I, I wander up into the study, and there's this chaise long, and there's like, they've, they've mocked mm. it up. So there's all these like, you know, bits of paper he's thrown in there, and his pipe, and he's lying on the chaise long. This is where Kipling has his big thoughts. And, you know, writes throws his paper away and then there's a picture of his wife on the wall right and the mm. national trust guy says says to me you know she is the chatelaine we call her the chatelaine like doesn't she look fierce and you know what's the word you know obviously he so so that i'm like she looks fucking she's got a, like a big bunch of keys around her and i'm like she looks fucking pissed off that she's having to run this whole fucking pile while this dude sits on the chaise long having thoughts right mm. like that's what i think <laughs> That's what we see, right? What we see is every single woman I know, and many of my friends are academics, many of them intellectuals, a lot of them have a lot more, I don't know how they live their lives, right? Like I'm not a very physically robust person. Like I need a huge amount of sleep. I get tired very easily. Like I can barely do my own domestic labor and keep like the chaos at bay and do my work and when I'm working or writing like everything just piles up around me right yeah. and no one comes and cleans my dishes and no one comes and like does the shopping and no one rubs my I like you know that's what women's experience is the women I know who hold down professorships and do whatever else right they also run constant mental diaries of what their children need to do and what the packed lunch has to be and who has a doctor's appointment and blah 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 and all of that Plus, they deal with all their husband's bullshit and emotional needs and all mm. of that stuff. Plus, they try and do their own work. And then whatever small amount of time they get at the end to actually tend to their own needs, which is tiny <laughs> by the time they have like fulfilled their professional responsibilities and cared for everybody. Right? Mm. That's what we see mm. about what women's lives are. Okay. I don't, I don't want to get stuck here because I, I want to I try to make an argument about the outcome of that way of critiquing the masculine and the feminine and how it's affecting public discourse. One, one of the things that I just want to push back on is that you see women doing all this labor for men, but do you see the men that are keeping the lights running? Do you see the men that are keeping the water running? Do you see the men that are keeping all the food as cheap it is? Do we see that? Or we overlook all the, yeah, but, all but, the but, products. But, but, that's, but that's, no, I mean, yes, there is the work that is done in the world yeah. But that is work that is remunerated and which carries social respect. And you, 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 your argument is that women are not remunerated. I always have a hard time with that word. The, because, the, because the letter is in the wrong place. We all say remunerated, but it's spelled remunerated <laughs> and it's impossible to pronounce like that. So I always stumble over it. And we all say remunerated because otherwise it's impossible to say. Well, yeah, but then the, the freaking commenters and YouTube come out and like, look at it, this is how we say it. Like, well, you don't have to say it out loud. Anyways. No, like, it's, why is that word like that? I mean, I understand because it makes sense, right? Like, etymologically it makes sense that it's like that, but it's unpronounceable. Anyway. So, no, okay. So, we, we do the most of the unpaid labor, right? The world yeah. is kept running by women's unpaid labor. If we withdrew our unpaid labor tomorrow, the thing is, all the work we do doesn't produce anything. It just keeps everything in a state of maintenance. It just stops going to shit, right? 
Yeah. Things go to shit incredibly fast. Yes. Right? Yes. If yeah. you don't, like, pick up and wash and within three days, I'm terrible, right? I'm I'm thinking. I'm, like, you know, here I am and yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah, doing yeah, my yeah. thing. Shit, yeah. right? I cleaned up the house on Sunday or whenever it was, Monday. Right? Everything's fucking fucked again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, because there is not the magic pixie that goes around moving women go around moving things around right just maintaining the basic structure of life the the status quo it doesn't there's no glory right it doesn't leave a mark on the world it just stops things going to shit and makes sure people get their basic needs met yeah right and so and and there and there's there's an injustice inherent in that because there's not a monetary value assigned to that or well there's injustice inherent to it because it's it's there's no self-actualization in that right we get pleasure to you know we get pleasure out of Hmm. pleasure is maybe the wrong word right like um flow there's no flow there's very little flow in the type of work well, and even there, even if there were flow, there wasn't. There wouldn't be a whole audience of people going, "Whoa, look at her clean that." There's no, there's no, there's no recognition. Yeah. There's no okay. status. There's no self-actualization. There's very little at the end of it. What you get is things don't go to shit, and the people that you love carry on living. Okay. And um, is there? And so injustice? vicariously, you get pleasure through the accomplishments of your husband or your or your children well, and stuff tradition- like that. So traditionally, all- and now what happens is women go off and do the self-actualizing stuff as well, but they still have to do all the other stuff as well. So now, hmm. uh, or then we have the problem that we, that women who get the privilege of doing the self-actualizing stuff then have to pay women who don't have the privilege of doing the self-actualizing stuff to do their domestic labor and then the injustice gets passed to women who are even less privileged mm-hmm. and men aren't <clears throat> capable or, or willing to, or taught men to... are men are not i mean this is what you know come back to the you know the transactivism thing and we're they're always like we're all, we're ladies and we're like clean the fucking toilets then <laughs> why does nobody's inner magic gender feels involve a sudden need to mop the floor touche <laughs> Well, yeah, and yeah, that's one. That's one thing that I've seen about, and I made this critique with. It was either Corinna or Asha Kinesis, um about it. It it almost seems like that there's an appeal for a certain a certain contingent of males to to want to take on the mantle of being female for all of the privileges that 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 gets which are basically you get attention and you get to interact with the world on a caring feeling emotive level or something like that so so there's a stereotypical female female uh privilege that the men want to have without actually letting go of all the male privileges that they have or or well, it's, it's partly it without like it's without, get, without without getting rid of the snare. i mean okay, okay so you, you've said a couple of things i want to separate the getting attention from the from the caring feeling thing right Okay. The, the argument that I have most time for, and I think you know, the the, the trans women you've spoken to, Kinesis and, and Corinna, um, there used to be one of our allies who's not around anymore. Called, she's called Miriam Afloat, who, mm-hmm. who who described her experience as being a gender refugee. Yeah, um, 
given this, I would much prefer still, let's try and take out the the issue of gender dysphoria for a moment. Because because, um, we don't understand gender dysphoria. If we did, maybe none of this fucking mess would be happening. Right. But Hmm. um, I, I, you know, if you are experiencing profound suffering and this is what you need to do to alleviate your suffering, okay. Like, none of us are going to, very, very few of other people on our side are going are gonna to say, no, don't do that. If you, if you see the way we interact with Asher and people like that, yeah. we're like, we're very, like, do what you need to do and like, you know. Um, um, but in terms of what the other elements of that are, I, given the strictures of patriarchal masculinity, I understand mm. that there are male people, because women have a certain form of relationality, right? We interact, I mean, this is also what's important to us about the protection of female space, because mm. female space has a very important quality, yeah, mm. which men don't know about because they they are never in female space and it's one of the things that's most valuable to me about being a feminist right is is the practice of spending time in female space and Mm. you know very often it will just be like a dinner or whatever or you know and you end up with like eight women sitting around talking and our relationality is quite different yeah we don't tend to play games we're not trying to score points it it does have quite a flat, direct hmm. structure to it. And it's it's really good. <laughs> it's a really, really good human space. Not always, and feminism has lots of problems, but there are very few things that I enjoy more in the world than sitting in a room with eight really smart women and just... That's, that's your flow. <clears throat> well, no, my Peak flow is flow. writing. No, my flow is writing, but, okay. but, um, but it's, it's a very... And and I understand, I do understand the desire, and I think it's quite genuine in 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 some male people to want to be able to move through the world, relating. It comes back to the dominance thing to some extent, relating mm. to other human beings in the way that women tend to relate to each other. Mm. Um, where and being related much, to. And being related to as women relate to each other. Like, women's relationships are generally really nice. I mean, when we're younger, they get much better as we get older and we actually shed a lot of our patriarchal bullshit and we stop caring and we stop giving a fuck. Wait, <laughs> see, we, I, I just, sort, I have... Sort us, sort us why, why do you have to gender that? Like, why do you have to gender maturation? So, so everything bad in life has to do with, like, this negative masculine force. Like, are there not just natural processes of becoming a better person or do we have to gender the negative parts of, of that maturation? Well, no, but I think, I think for a lot of us it's to do with dealing with the damage that is done to us. It's not emergent at all. There's not just things that that young female well, I people can't, need I can't, to learn. I can't. I yes, there is definitely things that male and female people need to learn, which is like how to manage their own feelings and yeah. like be responsible. And take I mean, if if you look at the way that 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 women and men bully each other, men or young young women and young men, uh, females bully each other socially, and that's the big epidemic with social media. That doesn't necessarily have to do with 
shedding patriarchal power structures. That's about exerting power over other people. I don't see it has anything to do like the, with this overarching but you, but you don't, negative you don't masculine force. Mm, I, that like, I don't understand we, isn't, we isn't are, an argument. We are set in competition against each other. By, by some other force. So it's like hypo agency. The, You're by saying the fact, that, by the, by the fact it's that all the fault are, of something by else. The, by the fact that we are raised to believe that our value is in the value that is attributed to us by men. And you don't we're think not, that that's not, at all not, emergent not, from, not, from what not, a female we're is not, through we're Darwinian. We're not principally... I mean, and obviously it's not so much now, but it is still the case. Like, this is what men do not understand, right, about, and this is why the, the relationship to transactivism, to that aspect of you saying, getting the attention, yeah, why that's so problematic to us, right? Because being the object of male attention is not fun. <laughs> it's not fun? No. Sometimes 100% it's fun. of the time? No. Sometimes it's fun. Most of the time, it's not fun. Hmm. Having your value as a human principally indexed by how much attention you get from male people fucks you up. Yeah, I, I'm not arguing against that at all. <laughs> and that's the principal structure. So I just I want to say I just want to ask. Are, I mean, I, 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 are you saying someone... that women would be perfect human beings if it weren't for men fucking them up? They, they would just naturally no, grow no, and have no, wonderful no, relationships no, no, with each other. No, 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 of course not. Because every single, there's going to be individual degrees of trauma and stuff, right? And like individual fuck ups, right? But there is a power structure, right? And, and you don't think that there's a, there's a different power structure and, 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 and that's you, in you the female. To, you need to separate it, right? This is what always happens. You need to separate it from men. It's not men. It's the power structure. Now, which is inherently certain, gendered so it's male it's masculinist ist okay ist. masculinist or ish ist hmm. well whose interest is it in the interest of female people for female people to be raised to think their principal value as human beings is in how attractive they are to male people I, are, okay. male, are male people raised to think their principal interest as their principal value as human beings is in to be expendable. To be, to be expendable. Yeah, to, to, to like, go out and be a hero and, and die for glory and honor. I mean, these are old tropes, but right, I think that right, the tropes right. are... Right, but, but those are tropes patriarchy tells you. Are right? there no matriarchal tropes? Do, do women not have any power no, in shaping civilization? We have fucking power in this society. We have fucking no power. Hmm. Right? That's just not been my experience. This and 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 i don't mean i i think that there can be i think that there and i i think i can say that without saying that there are there, there are, are still your, lots are of problems what are your experiences of women's power uh the power to select the power to evaluate the power to uh to when choose. women when women talk about when men talk about women's power what they normally mean is women get to decide whether i fuck them or not they get to decide I, I, and i resent that <laughs> well of course of course but and, and but women are as human beings have power to 
I mean, what is that like the, the the possibility space for for what a women a woman can be in the world is it's infinite. Um, but the specific power of the female has to do basically with editing discourse, uh, deciding what's proper, what's improper uh, by by selecting uh, by in the very fact of like this gendered uh, kind of uh, division of labor of, of a woman maintaining the status quo. She decides what is the status quo and what is not the status quo. What is the level of quality of cleanliness? What right. is what, right. what are the proper manners? How are we going to address each other? Right. Um, how are you going to dress like like the right. standards and, and stuff right. like that are, are managed right. and, and shaped that way. Right. But there, there's all this so in invisible the, in the process of doing all of the unpaid labor and maintaining the status quo women get to exercise some degree of control over how domestic spaces run and men live in those domestic spaces right so women are basically spending a large amount of their energy maintaining Hmm. the lives of the people in the domestic spaces that live with them Hmm. right now You can call that power if you think, right, she gets to decide what we eat and, like, whether the lamps go here or there, and she will, like... Huh. This is this is a problem of relation, right? The way we experience it, the way women experience it, is, like, I'm fucking working my ass off here, and then I get resented for it because then the man that I am spending all my time doing this work for then feels dominated by the fact that I'm emptying myself to maintain his living space, <laughs> right? And it doesn't, it doesn't constitute... What does that power mean in terms of that per person's development and flourishing as a human being Hmm. right the thing is is that a lot of what we feel about what men experience as women's power are things that are then themselves created by the structure Hmm. right many women i know would be delighted to be relieved of the dominance (laughs) that they purportedly exercise over domestic spaces if men the men they lived with would share do the mental would do the men and it's not only the labor it's the mental work the processing what needs to be done do we need some toilet roll blah blah, blah. Have this. and what am i going to get the kids for dinner have the kids got stuff for fat lunch is the cat food blah blah, blah. have a good kids for the floor and blah, blah. women spend their lives running these maintenance lists right i don't do this right i know this because i see i've constructed my life in a way like i say Mm -hmm. to not do that because i can't maybe some other women could do the kind of intellectual work that i do and still do that i couldn't i had to make a choice so i chose yeah i chose self-actualization and in the process i sacrificed family if i was a man i wouldn't have had to make that sacrifice i'd probably Hmm. have a I'd have somebody running this. I'd have someone raising my children. I'd hmm. like, chances are, not necessarily, but that's not a choice men have to make, usually. Hmm. They don't have to choose between their self actualization and, and I'm not like, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this like boo hoo hoo me. Like, I'm very happy, like, because I think it's an incredible privilege that I even get to do the kind of work that I do, right? But, um, <clears throat> 
it's very difficult for women when women like men don't they won't take on the mental work of working out how the maintenance has to work in a way that means they can actually partner with women in making that thing work right and then they get resented for it and obviously the women, women feel resentful women feel really resentful most of the women I know who run families, they love their families and they love their husbands and they love their children and they want to maintain their houses, but they feel fucking resentful because large portions of their emotional and mental energy are taken up doing this work that produces nothing and is taken for granted mm-hmm. and in which the people they are providing care for, because if you care well, people don't even notice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's only when you don't do it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm really sorry. I have to go. This is like half of the conversation. And I didn't want to get, I don't, I don't want to get it stuck here, but I think that we, we've delineated, you've delineated some stuff that, that I'm glad that you've delineated. Um, I wanted to pivot towards how can we affect discourse in ways that doesn't lead to more resist, resentment in the in the discourse uh and and what i see is a lot of pushback from men who are feeling there's a lot of like this incel community and migtail community and a lot of resentful men that are misperceiving the arguments that feminists such as you are making and i wanted to to start to walk towards like being able to delineate these these problems with the aim towards attunement with the aim towards harmony, with the aim towards getting beyond that resentment or figuring out how we can actually look at the root causes of like this. And so we, we kind of just etched out a shadow. Unless you, you don't to, think that there is a solution. You have, to, you have to go, you have to go right now or I have like, to, I have to go okay. do my day job. Uh, okay. Um, I mean, again, this is an issue of achievement, right? So the, the, the short takeaway answer, right? The, in, the incels are a very good, very good example, right? Because what they, what they experience is women having power over them, right? But, and, and the resentment that they feel about women having power over them. But what they're actually resentful about the fact is the fact that they desire, they have desire. Their problem is they won't own their own desire. That's what causes the basis of narcissistic patriarchal rage against women. Hmm. Men need to learn. This is also why I'm interested in Prince. This is why Prince was not a misogynist or a sexual misogynist, because he owned his own desire. You have to be, you have to own the vulnerability of your own desire. And Hmm. that's the condition of possibility of being able to see someone else as a human being. Hmm. Until I don't know how to, I see what they're doing right? It is not women's fault that men desire us. Men are responsible for their desire. Mm-hmm. And in order for there to be ethical relationships between male people and female people, and particularly sexually ethical relationships, everyone has to own their desire. And then that needs to be negotiated. And um, I don't know how to speak to people in that place, right? I don't know how to speak to them and say that, but that's the answer, right? We're not, um, we are not dominating men by the fact that men desire us. And then we get punished for it. Mm-hmm. 
that's why and, and get punished for actually the insubordination of our humanity could you, could you restate that you, you broke up we get punished for the insubordination of our humanity hmm. for the fact that we are not objects we are we are things that men desire who then have our own being and we get to decide whether that desire is reciprocated and because patriarchy patriarchal masculinity is structured around invulnerability you can't own your own desire and be invulnerable because owning your own desire is a state of vulnerability so it all comes back to vulnerability right men need to learn to own their vulnerability and to process their own emotions and to own their own desire and that's the condition of viewing human viewing women as human and once that happens then everything changes but while we have a situation in which men desire us, right, then they resent us for desiring us. <laughs> then they project their resentment for desiring us at us. Then we get scared because at that point they're dangerous. And then they try and punish us for it. And that creates that cycle. Yeah. At the point at which men can go, I feel desire. This is my desire. This come back to Prince, right? This is what I really love about Prince. He spends his whole time saying, I want. It's very straightforward. I want this. What do you want? <laughs> it's very vulnerable because there's no pressure, there's no coercion behind it. It's just, I really want this. I really want you. And then he leaves it open. And there's always the possibility, in order to do that, there's always the possibility that the woman will go, well, I don't. Yeah, but as soon as you put coercive pressure behind it, we get scared because we are brought up to know as soon as someone pushes that boundary, we're in danger. And then we back off. Yeah. Men don't understand this. If you, and it's the same thing with transactivism. If you push against the woman's boundary, you immediately become dangerous. Mm. Right? Men don't understand that we live our lives with little antenna going hmm. is this man safe is this man safe is this man safe mm -hmm. and as soon as we get a tiny little hint of this this man is not safe we will put up the walls and retreat and if that retreat is conceived as rejection then and someone pushes against it like that's how that happens right mm -hmm. so the answer is this is what my dissertation was about the fundamental structure can only be unpinned by men owning the vulnerability of their own want. And then everything changes. Hmm. There you go. Thank you, Dr. Jones. Can we do this again? <laughs> yeah, we, please. Can we have a part please, two? Please, because we, because we got in the middle of it and then I was just like, oh my God, you don't know what it's like to be a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to go there. I was trying to like, but we had to no, go there no, so we could it, build. It's, it's, it's fine. It's fine, right? It's fine. It's difficult for us to explain and we have to explain it because, because men don't know what it's like to be us, right? They don't know what it's like to be on yeah. the other side of it. And, and yeah. we do need to explain it. And yeah. I'm... This is what's so unhelpful about this whole discourse of like, oh, it's so triggering. I mean, I get it is, right? But I've dealt with my stuff and like yeah. maybe I get a little bit emotional, but we need to explain as long as people are prepared to listen. But a lot of what is experienced as our domination is actually, it feels to us as projection, right? Like mm -hmm. the power that we have or is perceived and is resented 
is the power that's actually created by the structure itself, right? If everyone owned their own feelings and their own vulnerability and negotiated ethically in attunement with other people, the whole thing would, everything would change. Everything mm. would change. 